You're listening to the Sporting Heroes podcast. My name's Matt Jones and in the studio with me this afternoon, I've got someone whose face, whose voice and whose achievements you will be well, well aware of. He has won multiple races. He has won titles. And on top of that, he's presented TV programmes as well. He's got a book out at the moment. It's a warm welcome to racing driver Jason Plato. Right, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Brilliant to have you in. Um, so you've had quite a career, you've had quite a life, and you've decided to put it all down on paper. Uh, well, that's true. All of those things are true. But, you know, I thought, of, I thought about doing a book years ago, actually, and I started to do some research and made some notes and then just kind of... I was a bit daunted by the thought of doing it. And then, out of nowhere, a good pal of mine... Um, Dougie Lampkin, who's the, the trials right rider, he'd just written a book and he introduced me to a guy which had helped him, a guy called James Hogg. And we just hit it off and, and you know, he, he had the ability to make the process of trying to unpick my untidy filing cabinet, which is my <laughs> head, and, uh, you know, help me assemble all the stories and stuff. So it, it's been great fun to do. It was nine months worth of, worth of you know, putting it toge- together. But, yeah, I'm pleased, actually. And it, it's... Um, you know, there's two sides to me, and, and as I say in the opening chapter, there's two blueprints to me. Clearly, there's how to become a prof- professional racing driver, but that's dull. There's, there's so many books out there, and that's all about stats and this and that and the other, but no one wants to read that. And the other blueprint is how not to be a professional racing driver, because, you know, I'm a bit non-conventional. You know, I don't go to the gym. I smoke and I drink. And consequently, you know, my mantra as a kid, always growing up, and I grew up in the northeast of England, up in Newcastle, was, you know, if you're going to get wet, you may as well go swimming. So <laughs> that side of my career life, there's much more fun to be had. So and, and that's what that's. So, so it's kind of like memoirs. It's stories and silly things which have happened over the years. Some have helped me through my career, and some of those have hindered me. And some of them could have had had things gone just a bit further could have ended me in jail probably for a long time <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the title comes from how not to be a professional racing driver uh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, you know and it's 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 fun it's a it's a you, you know you needn't be into motor racing to enjoy the book uh, what were some of your favorite stories that you put down then well i think i think one of you know the main big story which is a you know is how i got my big break with with williams uh, in ninety end of ninety six into ninety seven season, you know, when I turned professional, and you know, there was a, a moment in my life uh, uh, and a key thing which changed my life. And um, you know, it's a for for me that's the defining moment of me. And that was you know, I, I'd done a my single CC degree had stalled through lack of money, and I was trying to get to F one, and uh, but anyway, I didn't. Um, and then was kind of a bit in the wilderness, didn't know what to do. There wasn't many good drives around. And I did this series called the Renault Spider Series. And the reason I did that was the winner would get a test with Williams. And also knew that one of their drivers, a guy called Will Hoy, was out of contract at the end of that year. So there was a potential opening there. And the British Touring Car Championship at that time was enormous. And it was growing at an extraordinary rate. Anyway, cut long story short, did the test. Went to meet Frank Williams, Patrick Head, had an interview. Um... But then was told a week afterwards, um, look, you did great in the test. Actually, you couldn't have done any better, um, but the drive's not yours. We want to go with some ex-F1 drivers who've got profile. Uh, and, you know, that that kind of, that was, that, that hurts. And at that point, I was all for 
you know, all the opportunities had dried up and I'd made an, so many sideways moves, there was nowhere else left to go. And that was, that was almost the end of my career, before it started, if you like. And I woke up one morning full of hell and thought, I'm not having this. So I went down and, door and tried to doorstop Frank and basically got through the you know, security, got into reception because I'd been there two weeks before. You know, charmed the receptionist, can I speak to Frank's PA? She came down, told me to go away. But she let one crucial bit of information out, which allowed me to you know, retreat to the car park, which was, look, Frank won't be in until half past 12. Ooh. So anyway, got long story short, I went in the car park, moved, moved my car, sat under a tree and waited for him for three hours. And then did doorstop him, ran after his car, begged and pleaded for five minutes of his time, at which he said no quite a few times. And then he gave in and he gave me five minutes of his time. And the upshot of that was they then included me on their the driver shootout, which is two F1 drivers and me. And it was very clear, made clear to us all that the fastest man gets the job. And here we are. And you look at what you did then achieve, two world championships, uh, two, uh, 2001, 2010, 96 wins in the British Touring Car Championship. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, and it, you know, had I not got out of bed that morning full of hell and thought, I'm not having this, we wouldn't be having this conversation. All those stats and numbers wouldn't have been, you know, and all them endless, you know, wasteful bottles of champagne that I've sprayed around <laughs> the gaff. Um you know, uh, so you know it's a, it's a great story. It's a life defining thing. I mean, and and actually, it's a, it's an interesting story for anybody out there who wants to do something. That you know, even though the doors are shut, if you if you know, if you want something badly enough, you can you can often make it happen. There must be so many stories that you probably couldn't put in the book that you wanted to, but also some <laughs> some away from racing as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's. You know, when, when, when we, I, I guess you would call it first draft, which was probably about 600 pages long, and, and you know, the publishers have turned around and gone, well, yeah, we need to get it down to 300 pages. So loads of stories have just been parked. And there's probably enough stories for another two or three books, and there are some stories which actually I, I think I can't publish until I'm no longer on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> um, because one thing I didn't want to do is, you know, I didn't want to throw anyone under a bus. Um apart from myself, uh, uh, which I've done in most chapters. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, a whole host of just weird, funny stories, th things like, um, you know, I was driving for Sayat uh, uh, in the BTCC, and I just signed a new multi-year deal with them at the end of 2007, which was for 8, 9, and 10. And then their financial crash came, Sayat pulled out of everything, they told me late in the day and towards the end of 08. So I was out, you know, I was in all sorts of trouble, didn't have a team to go to. So I managed to hobble this deal together. Um, and then, you know, shortly after that, I was then negotiating with another another manufacturer and I had, you know, was trying to play them off slightly against each other. And <laughs> I sent an email to my lawyer which said, you know, MG, the title was MG, capital H, O, capital T, like head of terms. And I was like, I need this document back. Can you, I'll send it to the wrong lawyer. <laughs> and as I pressed the button, it had gone to the team, which I was negotiating with to stay. And I'd basically alerted them and told them everything about what I was up to with someone else. <laughs> and as I pressed the button, I'd realized what happened. And I, I was in my office and I threw myself over the desk and my business partner's aghast like, what on earth are you doing? And I'm ripping cables out, but it was too late it had gone <laughs> and you know from that moment on I had nothing I'd blown both legs off 
you know, and but anyway, we managed to cobble it together. So there's all sorts of stories about you know what goes on behind the scenes, how you, how how you go about being a driver, and how not to by sending emails to the wrong people and <laughs> you know ending up in jail in Mo- Monaco where I lived for you know stealing a JCB is a bit too strong, but I'd never driven one before and I'd come back from the boozer, and it one was down a little build building site. So I thought I'll have a go at that and started to dig a hole and then. Five minutes later, as he was in clink. You know. I mean, lots of hijinks. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some of the, the tracks you've driven, some of the successes you have. What's your personal favourite track? Uh, well, I think in the UK, it's actually uh, genuinely it's a it's a circuit not a million miles from here. Actually, at Alton Park. It's a it's a it, it feels like you're racing through a stately homes ground. <laughs> it, you know, it's very picturesque. There's lots of up and downs. There's a few little odd bumps. It's a real challenge for a driver, and it's a circuit where. You can never get the the perfect setup on the car because it's you know, everything's such a compromise around there. There's some very very quick corners, and generally race cars you either set them up for the quick corners, and then they won't be so good in the slow corners, or you set them up to to be good on bumpy tracks and not. Well, this has got everything, so everything's a bit of a compromise, and it's a circuit which the driver can play perhaps a bigger role in the overall result because you can hustle the car around there. So. That's a great place. And also, you know, the races there are generally in June. We Generally, the sun's out. People from Liverpool and Manchester and, you know, a proper good crowd of northerners turn up and the atmosphere is just lush. Uh, what's your greatest achievement, would you say? I guess, actually, the greatest achievement in, in reality is, is still to this day, you know, I'm 51 years old. I'm still, I mean, I put the thing on pole at Silverstone last weekend. But I've managed to m- keep maintaining my career and and um, yeah, still have the ability to maintain the highest stock level, if you like, of all the drivers. Um, you know, I'm quite proud that I get paid more than anyone else on the grid, and I'm I'm 51 years old, and that's quite good. And so I'm pleased that from '97 all the way through, you know, every year has been a professional year, and that's pretty unheard of so I'm quite chuffed about that Jason let's get on uh, to your sporting hero I guess it's got to be someone uh, from the motor racing world uh, yeah without a doubt although there's many um, but my, I guess my earliest memory the, uh, my earliest hero I can remember was a was a brilliant Canadian driver called Gilles Villeneuve who drove for Ferrari and he was um, I just loved his style that you know any pictures you see of him he's sideboards he's up he's, he's half on the grass and he's just absolute maximum attack and he was very charismatic and, you know, he was a great-looking bloke and he was, you know, he lived in Monaco and he had pretty girlfriends and well, he just he was just ace. And, you know, when I was, say, nine, ten, he was my hero. But going through the years, you know, um, obviously, and Cessana was a, was a, was a hero. Um, Michael Schumacher, hero, definitely. And amusingly enough, I used to race against my, Michael in karting. And um, I've had quite a few hijinks with him over years and parties and things. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, uh, amazingly, I can remember Michael from Cartier being, a, a, you know, um, a competitor and a rival at certain events. And then for them, for in, in my mind, later on when he started having his purple patch in Formula One, he turned into a, you know, a, a, I was a huge fan. And that was a weird thing that, to grow up with someone and then see them... You know, go on to the dizzying heights, but he, you know, I'm a big fan of his. He was an idol for sure. Uh, just on Gilles, um, when you were watching him at that young age, was that when you decided I want to be a motor racing driver too? Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I would have certainly had those thoughts. Um, 
um, yeah, you, you know, when I was, at, I mean, I remember exactly where where, where I was when, when when he was killed. I was racing at um, uh, in kart track over in Cumbria called Raura, and um, yeah, so I, I, yeah, he he was most certainly an inspiration, definitely. And obviously, as you say, so sadly died at such a young age, thirty-two. Um, is that ever when you're right driving? Is that ever a danger that you're thinking of that something like that could happen? In short, no. Um, but that's not to say you don't analyse the risk. Mm. And I think it's probably fair to say that you know I am less risk aware, genuine. You know, out on the roads. Um, doing crazy things, which I did ten years ago, I'd really think about now. But on track, it doesn't. It, it, you know that doesn't come into it because you know we're all going the same direction. So the cars are safe, or as safe as they can be. The circuits are safe. Yeah, they're all good drivers. Well, oh, that's not true actually. Some are. <laughs> and um, uh, but you're in the zone, and you never think of. You know, you can't allow yourself to ever think of the risk. But that's not to say at certain points during the weekend you might look at where they've made some alterations to the track or something like that and you think, oh, that's not, that's not so good. And then myself and one of the other more experienced drivers will then have a go, go, go and have a word with the officials. Now, I can't ever imagine I would have done that 10 years ago. So I think as you do get older, you do start to analyse things a bit more. But in car, it, nothing can be further from the mind than just trying to win the race. Jason Plato joining me, Matt Jones, and picking the wonderful Gilles Villeneuve as his sporting hero on the Sporting Heroes podcast this week. If you hit the subscribe button, you can get a brand new one in your box next week.